how do you allow people to express themselves in a digital world? Um, I think that's super important. And then how do you allow people to still work together in human ways? And human ways are, again, able to express yourself, spontaneity, structure and flexibility. Every team has a completely different culture, but every team needs to be able to express their culture. Welcome to the Cocoon Podcast. My name is Erica, Managing Partner at Cocoon Ignite Ventures. Together with my two other managing partners at the fund, Theodore and Roland, we invite you to tune in here, where you will find conversations we have with founders and investors on the future and sustainability of work. We have been talking and listening to founders and investors in Silicon Valley, Southeast Asia, Greater Bay Area, and the One Belt region for over a decade. There's so much to learn through venture capital conversations, and we decided to turn these meetings into a podcast to demystify what actually happens on the ground. If you're inspired by these stories and want to work or collaborate with any of our founders or investors, then our call to action is reach out by searching for Cocoon Born to Fly on LinkedIn. We'd love to connect there. Hey, Michelle and Emma. So great to have you guys on today. So let's let's go way back. Let's start from the beginning. So Vishal, I remember you you were a teaching fellow at Khan Academy for two years, and mm. then you got your medical de- degree. How did you go from that piece of you know your 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 journey to becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah, it's pretty random. Um, I I would actually say that I started entrepreneurship first. Um, I when I was just a kid, I was about 10 years old and my older brother was 11. We started a computer company together and um, it was pretty jank. Like, like we would basically go dumpster diving for computer parts and we would then, you know, consolidate them, build computers, download super massive amounts of pirated software off like IRC and news groups and things. And we would kind of outfit the computers with the best that there were at the time. Uh, this was like 1996 or something, 1997. Um, and then we just sell them around the neighborhood. And um, I think there's a statute of limitations. So I'm good. I should be good by now. But um, <laughs> but that was kind of our first brush with with business and entrepreneurship. And my mom was a CEO. So kind of, you know, learning lessons from her and stuff uh, was super helpful when I was a kid. Not that I knew that I was going to actually use anything. Um, and then we, we, that was the first thing that kind of taught me about making your own future and business principles and what you could achieve and unlock if you kind of were willing to take the reins or at least take a risk. This is so interesting. I think, I feel like every time we go way back, we can connect the dots backwards. Tell us about like mom, what mom was, was a CEO. What was her, her job like? And what did she bring back to, I don't know, dinner, the dinner table? <laughs> yeah. Um, so when so I grew up in Jamaica in the Caribbean and uh, my parents were um, they ran this woodworking business together and so my mom was the CEO and they made things like furniture and office kind of like like office supplies like uh, paper holders and cup pen cup like all the different things you'd make out of wood back in the day and um because it was Jamaica, they'd have like special wooden things that would say Jamaica on it, like little island carvings and things like that. So um, I think a lot of her, like they, they had quote product market fit. So a lot of the problems that they would bring home and talk about at the dinner table were um, mostly around uh, new directions that they wanted to take the business in or problems that they were having with, you know, 
particular business decisions or staff or supplying from, you know, getting lumber in from different places. So it was just, it was a really interesting mix. Um, but then of course they would spend most of the dinner table disciplining me and my brothers because um, we were pretty awful children. Having two boys and a full-time job. Yes. Mom's a super woman. So what happened from like, you know, how did you go from Jamaica? And then I know later you went to Harvard and is that where you met Emma? Like, how did, how did all that happen next? Well, I actually met Emma when um, we were both on Vancouver Island. Um, yeah, I was teaching anatomy and she was a student in the class and that's how we met. Um, and then we ended up doing a lot of jobs together. She became a, a anatomy teacher there. So we, we did that together for a bit. And then we went to uh, Australia. Australia. Yeah, well, we went to Australia and um, we actually were both worked together at Lululemon, if you're familiar with the, that brand. So that was very When they first opened in Palo Alto, I was like, okay, there's a nice yoga shop. And then they took over the world. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, we're still yeah. Lululemoning. <laughs> yeah, they're doing their thing. And so- World uh, Health Organization. Yeah, well then, well, first we worked at Khan Academy together. Mm -hmm. um, so Emma was also one of the top teaching fellows at Khan Academy. Um, then we uh, worked at the WHO together, uh, World Health Organization in Geneva. And that's actually where we met Roland. Um, so- yes. That we our first time ever meeting anyone from the cocoon family was in Geneva in down, a coffee shop in a coffee yeah. shop downtown. Yeah. I remember I heard about that conversation when he came back to debrief us. He was blown away by both of you. Well, it was mutual, and that's why I'm very glad that we joined forces. And I think this is so interesting. Again, both of you um, traveling, working, exploring, teaching, and learning around the world, and then eventually. Was it through the Harvard Entrepreneurship Hub that you guys started your first startup, um, yeah. Sophia, uh, Sophia World, or 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 when did that happen? Yeah. So then we went from. So I left. Fish was still in Australia. This was after. This was before we met Roland. No, after we met Roland. This is where things get blurry. So we started the first company, which was Sage Learning, which was a video creation software. And that was born out of pains that we had creating video and trying to scale that at Khan Academy. So we were trying to put the capability into the hands of more people because we were just so bottlenecked um, with the creation process. Um, and that we started at Harvard Innovation Labs when I was a student. Um, so Vish pinged me one day and he said, hey, you're a student at Harvard. You need to go and join this this space. Um, here's our startup, like go, go run with it. And at the time, I don't think I was even working on it. It was mostly just you. I think it was just you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then uh, I got involved in that and we actually started that at the innovation labs in the PIC program. And then from there, we got a bit deeper into it, realized um, that we wanted to actually pivot the problem 180 degrees. And instead of creating more content, we actually wanted to make it easier to find the right content. And that's how we pivoted into the second company. And that was the original Sophia learning platform. Yeah. Um, so that's what- um, That's when we met Roland. That's when we met Roland. Yeah. Um, the, the vision there was to create sort of like the Spotify of learning, um, where instead of having to go out and find all the right content on, on the internet, students could just kind of hang out and all the content would come and find them based on a few of their demographics and what they were learning and their learning goals, et cetera. And we kind of built some really, really interesting technology um, we actually got a computer vision and 
machine learning patent uh, because of how novel the tech was. Um, and uh, we had a number of partnerships with some leading schools around the world. It was just a, a really interesting company and business. Um, and then the pandemic happened. And so um, the kind of story of how we turned that learning company into the metaverse workplace is pretty interesting as well. Do you want me to tell you yes, that? Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and by the way, I still believe what you were doing and what you started with at Sage Learning and Sophia is very valuable, right? Um, I feel like, you know, I have young children who are seven and nine years old. The things they learn are very surface level. And the global education system has a very similar surface layer. But mm. when it comes to getting deep down into a particular category, um, what you were doing computer vision with machine learning on very specific segments of knowledge um, for humans to learn from the computer, I guess, backwards now, um, is so interesting. Um, but you're right, that, that segues uh, because of COVID to um, today's so work. Yes, how did that happen? How did your team evolve? And um, Emma, you know, as a COO to this company, how did you deal with sort of the rapid growth of your product adoption um, once COVID began? Oh man. Oh yeah. Well, I can tell the first part. Yeah, and then go you for can... it. So um, the, I guess the, 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 the way it actually all happened was we were, all on campus at HBS. And um, when March 2020 came around, everybody got kicked off campus, right? And at the time we were building Sophia Learn. And so we all kind of scattered around the US and the world more broadly. And um, we had a couple of international teammates as well, but most of us lived in Boston. And so we were kind of scattered around and we had to work because of lockdowns and stuff, we all had to work remotely. So overnight, just like every other team, we, we became like a Zoom and Slack team. And over months, you know, we're like, like for the first month, it was fine. And then the second month was a little less fine. And then third month and fourth month, and it just kind of became really annoying working on Zoom and Slack. Um, you know, they're both great technologies for what they do, but, you know, they were never intended to be like your workplace hub. It was never intended to be the office for replacement, for example. And so I could kind of see and feel these bonds with all these teammates that worked really, really hard to recruit, I could feel that kind of slipping. And like most people who have worked on Zoom and Slack, they kind of know intuitively like what I'm talking about. There's just something that feels a bit off. And so about working with your team. And so, um, you know, I tried to rack my brain for the times in my life that I felt the most connected to people, despite being across really long distances. And there's one memory that kept coming back to me which was World of Warcraft. It was when I used to play World of Warcraft like 18 years ago now. And, you know, I, even though it was like a, a game world with no video and no audio, like we had to use a separate app for that, um, not very good chat, et cetera. Like I still met some of my best friends in that world. Like I met the person who, I met Mark, who's our founding CTO. I met one of our product people. I met one of our designers. I met one of our really big investors. I met, um, the guy who helped me get into med school, like I met all these amazing people way back when I was 18 years old saying, wow. And I never knew that these relationships would turn into, you know, as transformative as they did. So anyway, we, we were like, okay, well, what if we built a wow light, but for business 
for our team to kind of work together in an MMO world. And then we'll like layer in the things that businesses would need, like a, like a, um, a video chat and, um, and text chat and audio and security and privacy and all the things that you kind of need to run a business. So 3D world, um, environment, avatar, everything, we'll kind of see how that feels. So we, we launched our first version October of 2020 mm -hmm. and um, it just, you know, within two weeks, it totally transformed our team. Like we actually felt like a team again because we were all working together. And so it was kind of a, an eye-opening thing for us because we had never intended on sunsetting the old software or, or shifting away from it. We, we really wanted to deliver on our vision then, but this was just too big to ignore. And so, you know, all of the teams that we were working with at, at Harvard, like they all wanted to get their, their own offices next to us in, in the world that we were building. And they all wanted to work in there as well. So we were like, okay, um, maybe we should really think about this. So that's how like the, the pivot actually happened. Um, this is such an interesting pivot story because it echoes another pivot story that I heard long, long ago. Um, it was this gaming company. They were they were in a game building games for a couple of years, and then, you know, they were they were not really, you know, that that wasn't really the, their their big exit. So they started turning the internal communication product that they were using externally, and that became Slack today. So. You know, it, it's very, very, very similar. So yeah, tell us, um, Emma, how did, how, did, how did you guys start using your product internally? Um, and how do your customers use your product um, these days? Yeah, so we started, I think in the earliest days of the pandemic, um, the biggest box that it checked uh, was just a place for teams to go um, and our team as well to see each other, to be able to have some of the spontaneity that the pandemic had stripped away. I think at that point in the pandemic, we, you know, we were about six to eight months in and just humans in general, let alone teams, were sort of on the same schedule over and over and over again, um, you know, popping in and out of something like Zoom, if it was Zoom, in and out, in and out, in and out, and going through this sort of repetitive loop um, and coming into our app sort um, at a time like that, I think just brought a lot of life back into um, people when they were dropped in. They had the freedom, you know, the freedom to run up to someone in the early stages of the pandemic was, I think, a huge uh, moment for a lot of people. Um, I think for teams, it was an eye opener that like, hey, we could actually do this and we could do this maybe even better than how we used to do it before. Because suddenly there was um, a, a different level of uh, fairness and availability for teammates that were usually used to being far flung. They now felt as connected as those that used to be in person. Um, and so I think as teams started to adopt us over the pandemic, um, one of the things that we really felt was uh, they were using us like they would a real office. They were in there every day, they were building habits, they knew where to expect each other and that became like a source of um, familiarity, something that was reliable but still had that magic spontaneity for teams um, to depend on. Um, and I think we started to notice what it was like to sort of ride the, a wave that as we looked down past the pandemic, something that we felt was gonna not only persist after the pandemic, but also something that was going to reshape the world of work um, that remote distributed teams can actually have an advantage um, by being completely digital, completely online and using tools that allow them to even be stronger than they were in person. Um, and the people that were adopting us, um, we really felt they believed in that and they were sort of pushing that wave forward. Um, so I think 
For us, it was about teams coming on board and using us just like before, but even better, um, forming new habits and new ways of working together that were even better um, than what they had previously, when maybe they had a half digital or half and half in-person workforce. So I know you guys now have a distributed team all around the world. No distributed. How, yeah. <laughs> how do you guys function? Like, how, how does an organization like yours that's pretty much online 24-7 work? And how do you talk to your teammates, keep them engaged, build product, you know, come to alignment and, and focus? Like, how, how does all that work in a company like so work? Well, especially in like the earliest stages when all the rules are the game is changing, you know, every day. Um, I think it's, people always say startups are crazy, but I think in a completely digital distributed early stage startup in a pandemic, startups are like a whole new breed of crazy. Um, so it's, you know, by the time you get the information, everything's already changed. Um, so I think in the earliest days, it was complete madness. I think from an operating perspective, it was like a complete nightmare. Um, we had, a, you know, like a lot of teams sort of swing the pendulum of like lots and lots and lots of meetings to make sure everyone stays on board to too many meetings, let's cancel all the meetings. And so we, we also participated in a lot of that kind of pendulum swinging behavior, too much writing, not enough writing, too many meetings, not enough meetings. There's all these sort of levers that we ourselves and other teams um, that were trying to navigate this sort of would overswing and try to calibrate. Um, so I think we definitely went through that phase and then we sort of settled on um, things that worked, you know, enough writing in these scenarios, enough prep before these meetings, rotating meeting times around so that everyone was just stretching a little bit, but not too much, um, you know, being, being thoughtful about how teams are put together. Um, we put together basically dynamic feature teams when we work on product projects. So making sure that everyone has reasonable overlap. Um, but one of the things, uh, actually also high accountability, I think people being strong owners of their areas and taking accountability for um, making sure that their work is handed off well becomes really important. But one thing that we've realized lately as our team has gotten much better at it and as our tooling has gotten much better is actually our team has an advantage that non-distributed teams don't have. So one of the things that our engineering team, for example, talks about is it's the end of my day, maybe it's 6 p.m. and I need to get some of my work reviewed. I'm gonna intentionally give my work to Albert who starts in three hours after I go to bed because if he reviews my work, by the time I wake up, my work will be 50% further along than if Albert and I were on the same, same time zone because he's working while I'm sleeping. So I'll catch him in the morning for an hour and now my work is actually eight hours ahead. So our team has realized that our, distrib our distribution is actually a speed advantage. And so one of the things that we're working on a lot in our product is to allow more teams to take advantage of that speed advantage. So SoWork can tell you, hey, Erica, it's best if you actually send this work to Roland because he's gonna be awake in two hours. So by the time you wake up, it'll actually be done. Um, and that's something that teams working the same hours at the same time every day, they only can take advantage of that eight to nine hour window, Monday to Friday, but our team has a 24 hour window, seven days a week. Um, so that's something that we're working on now is actually leaning into the distribution. And we think that's a huge advantage um, for teams of a new world of work. Like you said, the world is evolving so fast and inside a startup, it's, it's a constant state of sort of controlled chaos. Um, how do you, or, or maybe, maybe this, this question could, could go to Vishal, like how do you guys deal with sort of the skepticism around hybrid, around remote post COVID? And you know, there, there's two spectrums, right? There are the Goldman's and the Tesla's who are like, we want everybody back in the office 40 hours a week. And then there is the Twitter 
Um, and many, many, many startups around the world that are like, guys, we're going to go remote forever. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think um, I have lots and lots of thoughts, as you can probably imagine. Um, I'm like, if I, I'm not religious, but if I was going to be religious, it'd probably be like Buddhist, some type of Buddhist. And in from what I have learned so far there, it's like you have to accept the world as it is and not try right. to expect it to change or you know yield to you instead you should yield to what reality is and um i think that that's pretty true for this um, case of people's preferences in the new sort of distributed world of work in 2022 and beyond so for example there's companies like um tesla and goldman and you know other people who really really like in person and when i say really like i'm talking about the company as like an archetype i don't mean the, the employees who work there necessarily um, and if they, um, like, if, if that's for them, then that's fine. And that's for them. And I don't think that we're in the business of trying to change anyone's minds. But what I do think is that um, employees, and whether it doesn't matter what sort of level, quote, unquote, they are, whether they're executives, or whether they're kind of, um, you know, on the ground, they're going to make choices that are commensurate with how they feel inside like what their what their personality or belief system resonates with and what i think is going to happen is that you know as as companies you may want to edit that one <laughs> as companies um decide to go hybrid versus fully remote versus fully in person you're going to get this drain of talent because of the competitive advantages that appeal to each type of human. So the, you know, I think I'm actually writing an article about this right now called the hybrid bell curve will invert. And so right now we have this sort of hypothesis that, and when I say we, I mean like people in general, that, that there's gonna be this, this bell curve that has the majority of companies in the center of that bell curve being hybrid and then the two ends being remote and on the other side, it fully in person. But what will happen over time is that the um, remote companies will start to say, hey, um, you know, like a Twitter will start to say to a Tesla, um, and no disrespect at all to Tesla, because I think I really love their products. But anyway, um, they'll start to say to Tesla employees like, hey, like, yeah, you, you're getting paid like X number of dollars, but we can actually pay you just as much and you, you, you can work from Hawaii or you can work from anywhere in the world that you want. And, or you can just go and live in, I don't know, Colorado where you're from so you can be around your parents as you have a kid so that you, you get this sort of family time and you don't have to live in Austin or you don't have to live in um, Laguna Beach. I think that's where they are in, I can't remember where they are exactly in California. But anyway, um, the, what will happen then is you'll start to get this brain drain away from companies because of the flexibility. And this isn't anything new, but I think the more interesting part is who that leaves behind. So over time, you'll get this sort of um, personality type leaving more rigid companies. And um, you start to get the more open-minded, um, flexible employees who are typically the creatives. They're like in that class of human, which is the creatives. And they'll start to gravitate toward these companies that are way more open and flexible. And then what that means is that the people who are left behind in the um, companies that are a lot more rigid, those are the guardians, right? Those are the more rigid people. 
and it's fine like maybe for the next one or two years or one or two quarters or whatever but if you think on a longer time horizon you think about how that shapes fundamentally what a company is able to do if all of a sudden like 85 percent of your makeup is the guardian type that doesn't like taking risks or doesn't like taking chances or doesn't like to think about things in a much more open way you're probably not going to be able to build competitive products right whereas you have the this huge like efflux of creatives like where they go like they're probably going to be able to build some amazing products in the future so that's my hypothesis of what will happen and i'll flesh it a little bit more out in my piece that i'm writing about it but that's my long-winded answer now that's super interesting it's not long-winded at all it's very clear um, and i can't wait to read you know this idea around the bell curve between in-person remote everybody in the middle of hybrid kind of like what google's doing with like three days in person two days you know remote um but in actuality with companies like google that are implementing the three two like how many of their teammates actually appreciate the shift right so you know in this mix of guardians and creatives i feel like every organization needs at least these two um, types of talent um, i once read a book called the 10 faces of innovation, which talks about how in any innovative company, you need 10 types of personality. And like you mm -hmm. said, there'll always be the guardians who will be like, yes, I can show up. I'll be here nine to five, you know, uh, five days a week. But then there will be the creatives who are like, wait, I don't, I don't see why I have to be in person. Mm -hmm. My work doesn't have to be, doesn't require me to be in person. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think about engagement and culture? Like Emma, how do you guys build engagement and culture within your own organization remotely distributed around the world right now? I think that it, it poses new challenges. I think it also opens up other opportunities. Um, you know, one of the things that we hear a lot about with other teams that use our product that I think is like a residue of our own team, especially Vish, trying to embody our culture into the product is the ability to like express yourself. So if you take our meetings, for example, one of the things that people just love so much that I don't even think, I think we built it really for ourselves at the beginning is this thing called the emoji blaster, which is where you can literally just blast emojis across the screen to express whether you want to send hearts or a celebration or a thumbs up or whatever. And there's a lot of little things like that baked into the product that I think if we trace their roots back, they came from our team during a digital time, trying to find ways to express themselves and get our culture into our world, which was at the time our product. Um, so I think there's a really critical component of how do you allow people to express themselves in a digital world? Um, I think that's super important. And then how do you allow people to still work together in human ways? And human ways are, again, able to express yourself, spontaneity, um, structure and flexibility, um, things like that. And I think every team has a completely different culture but every team needs to be able to express their culture um, and to feel like they can be themselves in the digital world. And I think one of the things that we hear a lot about with the product is teams can't express themselves, whether it's able to make over their own office, you know, upload pictures of their coworker to sort of um, make fun of them, like to, you know, sort of plaster their picture all over the office as a way to sort of razz your coworker. Um, you know, one of the things our team does is when uh, someone loses at a game, um, they get to Vichy lost at a game the other day. So the team got to pick the outfit that Vish wore in the world for two weeks and he looks absolutely ridiculous. Not fair. It That's is not awesome. Fair. 
but it reminds everybody, you know, we played games two weeks ago and the CEO lost and, you know, Eric and who was it, Eric and Vanessa got to decide what fish wore. And, and that's a form of bonding. Um, and it's something that he shows up to the office every day wearing this silly outfit. He takes his meetings in it. Um, and the story sort of propagates why that's happening. And so I think it really comes down to expression, spontaneity, um, and letting people be themselves and letting people express themselves and their culture. Um, and I think we learned that one in the digital times that we, I think we sort of lucked out because we were able to actually just bake that into the product. And so other teams then get to do their own version of that in their virtual office. Can, can I That's, just share two more things? Yes, please. Uh, two of my favorite memories of just random things that teammates have done because of the tooling that we made available. And I, and I think like that's one of the big things that Emma was touching on is like, if we make the tooling available, it's almost like, you know, what Minecraft did was like, and Roblox, they created tooling to let creators create. And what we're really trying to do is like that from a customization perspective, but also create workplace tooling to let workplaces like create their workplaces, if that makes sense. And that that spans like the through line of from a culture to a productivity to a togetherness to a team building, like it's the whole shebang, so to speak. But there's two on the culture and kind of bonding side, there's two things that I always think about. One is I was, um, we were holding a meeting and there was two teammates, it was around last Christmas and um, the two teammates like threw down like Santa sleighs and then I watched like three teammates jump into each of the sleighs. So there's like, they're facing each other and there's six teammates, three in each. And then they started to have like a text only Pokemon battle. And it was just like amazing to watch. Like they were just doing this thing unstructured. And now we'll always remember like who won the Pokemon battle. Um, and then another thing was uh, we, we give each other awards. Like we have a system in, in the um, app where you can like award your teammates with different things. So whether it's their six month anniversary or, you know, they had the spiciest cake in a meeting, they can get a, an award for that. Um, and there's one time where one of our juniors broke our production code environment, which was a little worrying, but um, one of our senior engineers gave him a, like an actual custom award that said, I broke production. And so for like an engineer to receive that, it's like a milestone moment and it has the dates and it has his name and it has what happened. And it's just the, one of those interesting things that can only really happen in the, the workplace metaverse, so to speak. So just some moments of culture that we're pretty proud of. I love that. I love it when interns or our like incoming new team members break stuff. When they're breaking things, they're innovating. <laughs> And, and that's the thing about retaining talent these days, right? If there's no recognition or attribution or reward, it's very, very hard to retain people because everybody wants to be heard and wants mm -hmm. to be recognized. And how do we do that in the traditional setting, right? Like, you know, people don't walk around giving like thumbs up to people. So this happens online, but at the same time, you can't give, keep doing that over Slack or WhatsApp or Zoom. So it makes sense for this sort of permanence um, within the metaverse workplace. We haven't been talking too much about that word, metaverse. Let's talk about that word. How, what do you guys think about it? And why is it important to have a metaverse workplace? So I think like the word has um, obviously been around for a long time. Um, and it, it makes people think of a lot of different things nowadays um, because you know there's the media hype cycle and things like that. Um, but really like, for some of us, me included, like 
we've been dreaming about this since we were kids you know what i mean and and it's not just me it's like people way older than me have been dreaming about this since they were kids and so um it's not just like a passing fad or like anything like that it's it's all of us i think whether it's technologists or people who just think about a better future it's thinking about okay well what what can we build that would be like what what is the vision in which we can build this that would be super helpful for a lot of people and there's ones that i don't think are super helpful for today like a metaverse for i don't know like shopping or gaming or just social like i think those are cool but i'm not sure about how they fit into a person's life right now but the reason that we're so excited about workplace is because that sort of ties your day-to-day -day with people around the world who you really need to be connected with on a human level, i.e. your teammates, um, more so in 2022 and beyond than ever before. And it is tied to how you make money. And so that is something that you would spend your time and your day um, in. And so from our perspective, like that's why metaverse makes sense to us. And I have to do a little personal sharing here. Like, so I have, I, we, we, at work, we use SoWork mm. and we also use Horizon Workrooms. Mm. Um, and like you said, it is something I have been dreaming of since I was a little girl, having these different avatars and characters. Like in SoWork, I have my green hoodie and my big black glasses and, you know, my funky hairstyle. And then when I'm in Horizon workroom, I, I look totally different. I don't even have half my body, okay? I only have like my top part of my body. Um, and in each of those arenas, in these different metaverses that I'm working with my colleagues, I actually have a different sort of persona, if you will. Mm -hmm. I have a different set of emotions. Mm -hmm. I have a different set of reactions. And it's so fun to be able to go to work and be able to create these new versions of my work self um, you know, I think with Horizon Workrooms, I have to wear my Oculus and I have to use my gear, which is a little bit hard, especially for old school people like me who like to take notes. Sure. When I'm in so work, I can walk around, I can talk to people and take notes at the same time because I don't have to wear the hardware, uh, which I appreciate a lot. Um, but like you said, it's two very different environments and two um, experiences that I wouldn't normally have in a kind of brick and mortar work setting. So um, we're, we're creating newer versions of ourselves in that sense. Now, how do some of your customers use your product? Can you share some examples? Yeah, totally. Um, I'm thinking of a couple of our customers that have been around for so long. You know, we've got some customers that have been with us since the earliest versions of the product. Like when we look at their consecutive week count, I always think about how much has changed over the years. They, I don't the even know how they yeah, did it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so we've got, we've got a mix of teams that do sort of different things. We have some teams that, you know, the office is where they are all the time. Um, it's where their team can count on them being, it's not mandated. It's just part of what they do. Um, they have their own norms. They've sort of made up their own rules. You know, this corner is where we do engineering standups. You know, I went into a customer interview the other day, visiting this company's office. Um, and we were standing in one particular spot and, uh, they said, we have to move in 10 minutes because this is where engineering is going to meet. So it's important that we get out of this their way. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Do you want to run over to the library? Like, no, no, no. Go look at the library. That's where we interview. As you can see, we're getting a lot bigger. So all of our recruiters and, you know, all of our recruitment efforts happen in the library. That way our team can see who's coming in, who's meeting with who, but it's a private space just for them. 
Um, you know, whereas our company, because our office is open, we leverage private meetings a lot more. Um, but a lot of our customers like to have a really open and free office, which is really cool. So some companies have like all these different norms. Uh, the office is their place um, to be and they do everything out of it. Um, some companies have teams that are like ours. They're super distributed. So the office becomes the place where they come together in the hours that they have overlap. Um, and, and a lot of them then spend time in the office outside of that, just in case. Um, but they really do a lot of their deep work shifted um, outside of that. And they have these overlap hours where they really come together and they do a lot of that work in the office. So we see teams sort of across, um, they work the same hours every day. They're super close. They live out of that office too. They're super distributed. The office becomes the place where they all come together and sort of everything in between. Um, but it's been amazing to watch teams uh, sort of mold and shape the norms that you can you can create a lot of new rules and norms in a world that you can't in places that are um you know just chat based or just video based and it's been amazing to watch companies sort of contort and twist the product um to to really fit in with their culture and we learn a lot from that and then adjust our tooling based on that to make it more flexible so they can do that more easily um, but it's fun to watch early adopters hack the product um and then and really understand what they're trying to do <laughs> That's something I'm learning too. As you know, tomorrow we'll be hosting a, a KPMG Connected um, Cities um, conference on so work, and we'll have like a hundred startups come through. So I've been working with their team um, to, to coordinate this, and we're like, okay, so there are some booths here. This is where the startups should sit and pitch. There is like a picnic area over here. We'll do something called meta chats, which is like fireside chats over there. You're right. Like this whole. How, how do we use the metaverse? How do we use different spaces for different social engagements um, and maximize um, the tools that you guys have built? Like I, I've learned how to use a whiteboard now. I can put an agenda on a whiteboard next to an area, right? Uh, or I can, I can add interactions um, in, within the space. So people can order food, order drinks, people can play games together. It's, it's sort of creating a whole new work experience that I don't have the luxury of doing in a, in a traditional office. Um, now, from, from your experience so far, riding all these different waves through building a startup, what, what excites you or what worries you going forward? Okay. I mean, those are both pretty long lists. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I, I get, I'm actually pretty excitable. So I get excited about a lot of things. Um, but I think the impact of what we're doing, um, that's the thing that excites me the most because we could really change how work happens and where work happens, right? Like from the earth to the cloud. We, we, if we think about shifting, like not just, you know, Boston city um, companies to metaverse, but like San Francisco and then like Canada and Japan and, you know, England and Australia, like then these are actually like significant shifts in how people work and how people spend their time. And then all of that has sort of run on effects on, okay, well, how much commuting, commuting do you need to do? How much flying for work or driving or office building, building, like, do you know what I mean? Like there's so much impact, both from a human time perspective, but also like a carbon use perspective. Um, when we shift how and where work happens um, on a global level. So that, that's what excites me is we can unlock a lot of really deep human desires, which are the ability to work from anywhere. So you could be around people that you care about at all times. Um, and also the time flexibility that you get as an individual 
And then on the even more macro than that, um, we can do a lot for the planet. So that's that's the thing that excites me. Um, and then that, that's on like the biggest level, the highest level, and then on the lower levels, like just solving the problems that we see. That's that's pretty exciting too. You know, then there's like the even I mean, I guess commensurate type level is like building a team that we really love and helping everyone perform at their best, like then baking those sort of um, performance behaviors and trainers into the application itself so that we can help every company who works in SOWER benefit, right? And sort of up their game as a company. So there's there's a whole bunch of things that excite us on the product side and the impact side. Um, maybe I'll let you go before we talk about um, worries. Worries. Uh, yeah, I think I would maybe um, riff off of one of the things you said. I think that there's um, the world of work has changed um, substantially post pandemic. That's persisting and it's still evolving. It's going to evolve so much over the next however long years, decade. Um, and I think one of the things that is easy to lose sight of in like all the excitement of it and all the sort of competition from big and small players is there's act, there are so many foundational challenges to solve for customers that it's just like there's just an unlimited number of ways to go about this to provide like real value in in the products that we build in this new market. So I think for me I get so excited about um, there's so you can't go wrong there's so many ways to go um, there's so many different segments that have so many fundamental challenges that the teammates have them the businesses have them now that we enter into a completely different market from you know a recession and inflation perspective business have other bottom line challenges there's so many things that we're able to solve um, by unlocking companies to work in a more flexible digital way um, it's just like i can't even sometimes pick the opportunity spaces that we play in because there's just so much value to deliver so i think that's really exciting it obviously creates like a focus a regular focus challenge but there's just so much um to do that if one day you wake up and you find that your competition is doing better than you in one zone you go find another place to apply your differentiated value and you provide value coming at it the other way so yeah i think that's what excites me the most I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of like limitless thinking. And like you said, there are so many opportunities, but I strongly, I most strongly resonate with what you both said around sustainability, right? With climate change, that is one of humanity's biggest challenges, but at the same yeah. time, the sustainability of work, that's something we care a lot about at Cocoon, mm -hmm. right? You know, of the 17 SDG um, sustainability goals, um, number eight is decent work for all. How can we bring justice to the work environment now for everybody who may or may not be able to access the office, right? To be yeah. able to have that job, um, have any job that they can make a living of, that software yeah. didn't just eat yesterday for a lunch, right? Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. a problem that I think SoWork is solving for so many more people than, than I think we, we can imagine at this point, right? Right now I'm just thinking, okay, you know, the five people on my team go on SoWork, but all the people who were not able to access an office now are able to be a part of organizations because of this option of hybrid and remote. And, and as you know, at Cocoon, you know, we run a co-working space. And with COVID, you know, that's a real problem. We lost <laughs> all of our tenants and we're part of the Google for Startups Network. And I know that all my other partners around the world have lost all their tenants, right? Mm -hmm. How do they continue to build community? And you know, that's why I'm a big evangelist of your product, because when you gave us a chance to use it, I was like, wow, this is a game changer. I can finally bring people back 
and they can feel they're part of a community. And we share this with all of our Google for Startups partners because they too have the same problem. And it's not just building community, it's monetization, it's business model. And if you don't have those things, then you don't have jobs for all the people who were there before. They were not able to create value if there's no place for people to come together and, and connect. So those are some things that I'm personally very thankful for that you guys, you guys built. Um, did you that. guys want to talk about the worries part? Anything that worries you? Well, yeah. well let, me, let me just first go back to one of the things that you said real quick, um, which is about uh, creating opportunities around the world. Like, I, I completely agree. Like, it, it's, it's bi-directional in that, you know, companies get to hire from anywhere. And I think that's great because you can find all of these you know, quote, diamonds in the rough. And, um, you know, as somebody who, not that Jamaica doesn't have a, an amazing talent, but like, you know, I grew up in the Caribbean and like, I feel like um, because I was given opportunities, I was able to make good use of them. And I think when we found lots of our staff in Colombia and Chile and New Zealand and Spain and UK, like kind of all of these places all over the world that, and Latvia and, you know, like literally all over the place, you know, we, we're able to find these amazing, amazing world-class people that, you know, we can turn around and say, Hey, we're not going to like pay you like not what you're worth because you don't live in the United States. Like we're going to pay you a fantastic salary and get the benefits and all of that jazz. And what that does is it means that just um, the economics of what then gets injected into their local community goes way up, right? And so if you think about that happening at scale, I think, I think that's one of the things that's really exciting to me as well is that, you know, by allowing companies to hire from anywhere in, in a really human way, right? That's one of our goals. Um, we we allow we we enable people to sort of stay in their communities but also um contribute in really amazing ways that they can now contribute in their communities because of the the economics of them working for say an american startup or a canadian company or whatever right so i think the the benefits are bi-directional Absolutely. That's so beautiful. I mean, you know, as someone who's constantly looking for talent, I'm always either hiring CTOs, engineers, um, growth hackers. Talent search is so hard. Mm -hmm. At the same time, like you said, for talent to be able to access high quality jobs, mm -hmm. it was not necessarily possible before with kind of borders. But now with a space like SoWork, there are no borders, right? Okay. And the arbitrage of talent can actually happen so much more easily. Um, and everybody benefits, organizations benefit with talent. At the same time, like you said, the talent and their community benefit with great jobs. Yeah. And, and that's a big part of, I think, the sustainability of the world, right? Like when people can do things that they're really good at and make a living doing it, you know, wonderful things happen to the community. Yeah. And you think about the role modeling too. I think like I'm a big believer in really good role modeling. And you think about, you know, the type of role modeling that can happen when local folks can um, share with other people in their community what they're doing and um, how and, and, and how they can 
how others can possibly benefit or go down the same path. I think that's, it's just, I'm excited to see what happens over the next couple of years on that front. Can I ask you guys to share or inspire us um, in terms, from your personal experience? I know this year you've been in Japan uh, and you're, you've been in Hawaii. Like, how does your kind of, how does your, your adventure around the world building so work work? Like, how do you, what's it like visiting team members around the world? What's it like, you know, bringing them in for, I guess, performance reviews remotely? And, and how, how have you been inspiring the team um, as you have been sort of exemplifying what future of work really feels like? I, I mean, I think first off, like creating a really like loving environment, like a really caring home base, um, which is inside our workplace the, in the metaverse. So we're like making sure that everybody on the team feels like it's one team, one goal, one focus. We're all rowing together in the same direction and we all have each other's backs. Like creating that kind of environment is like a, an absolute prereq to everything else, right? All the performance reviews and um, visits and everything comes like on top of that. Because if you have that as a base, and everybody's kind of aligned and, and knows that you have each other's backs and it's all sort of love and respect first, then it doesn't hurt when you have to um, help people improve through PIPs or performance reviews or anything like that, right? It's, it's understood that it's um, in their best interest and it's, it's all for our one goal and one focus. And there's nothing taken personally and there's nothing, instead it's like, great, thank you, now I can do better. And we both learned something and now let's move forward together, sort of hand over each other's like shoulders, right? Like, like what's that saying? Like hand over hand, like, you know Something that like thing, that, right? Yeah. <laughs> arm in arm yes. kind of thing. Yeah. And, and that's really how I feel about our team. And from the feedback that we get, especially when I go and visit the team members around the world, like that's, that's how they see it as well. So, you know, I think, like I'm not a believer in like everything has to be remote and never meet your teammates. Like I don't think that that's right. I think like you know a quarterly get together or seeing each other like like every once in a while is really good for cementing relationships. And I think you do much better work with much better relationships. And so um, I made it a point to go and visit our teammates all around the world this year. So um, I went to Spain and we have seven teammates there, and it was like the best thing ever like I, I don't know if this is common knowledge but I had no idea that Spanish people don't sleep until like really late because they don't eat dinner till freaking 10 p.m and so um I I stayed up longer than I've stayed up since I was like in undergrad which is kind of nuts but they were having a great time um and so we They're all like this is every day that yeah, yeah. what are you talking about <laughs> exactly well it makes more sense now because we used to always say to them like you're in the office really late but I guess this is just normal. <laughs> yeah, this is normal. But the, the amount of bonding, like I'll never forget, we were walking to a team event. Um, we were, I think we were going to an escape room, which is really amazing. Um, but we had one of my teammates, he, he, he lives there. He's like um, one of our engineers. He put his arm around me while we were walking. And he said, you know, I just wanted to thank you for like having me on the team because this is the best work experience I've ever had in my entire life. Like the whole team obviously cares about me and I care about the work and like, this is just the best opportunity I've ever had in my, my, my entire life. So thank you. 
and like I'm like obviously I was very grateful and, and happy that he said that but I was like dude this is what teams should be like like this right. is what we're, this is us this is what we're doing this is just normal and like we hope to kind of create that kind of like we, we we really want to be able to empower teams any team in the whole world who lives in SoWork who moves into SoWork and creates their office in SoWork we want to be able to give that sort of as much as possible that tooling that enables them to create a super high trust team as well so so all the things that we do on our side the things that work we want to bake into the product anyway that was spain and then i did the same um in the uk and japan and australia and new zealand and now hawaii so i'm we're finally about to go back to canada which would be nice play hockey for a month or something take a break from travel you know, there's something that um, our teammates um, have recently started to share for those that have been able to travel a little bit more, you know, as um, obviously we're still in a pandemic and um, everything's a little bit different everywhere, but for teammates that have been able to travel a bit more recently, um, something that they really love is that the office, like opening up their computer and opening up SoWork is the familiarity and the stability that they get to carry with them no matter where they go. They get to open it up and they know that they're, they know where their team's going to be. They know that they can run up to someone. It doesn't matter where they are in the world. Um, they know that they could walk back to their desk. Um, someone might have left something for them. And so it allows them to actually bring the team um, structure and team familiarity with them in a way that I don't think other tools have quite nailed before. Um, it, maybe it's the immersion, maybe it's the feeling like you can run up to someone. There's something in that that we're starting to hear more and more about as teammates are being able to travel more than maybe they did during the pandemic. Um, so that's something um, that we hear about as well for teammates. I, I really appreciate that. I To me, my workplace is my home. I'm there more than I am at home, right? Yeah. So <laughs> to have that stability wherever I am and to be able to connect with people and now more people. Like we used to only be able to house like a hundred people in the office. Now we could house a thousand and, you know, we could do like conferences, you know, on the fly and not have to worry about booking a venue and still have a hundred startups come through and we'd be able to manage it, you know, without dealing with social distancing and all. It's like you said, it's, it's, a, it's a whole new set of opportunities. And I think I once heard this stat, I, I think it's a little staggering that 80% of the workforce does not really like being at the work they're at. You know, so like you said, Emma, with sort of the limitless upside of how can we make work better? Well, at least for 80% of the workforce, work can be like what Vish said, fun, engaging. Um, you feel like you're, you're working on something really cool and you're also delivering on a really cool purpose. Now, final question for the both of you. If you're right about the metaphors for the workplace, what will the world look like in say five years? with so work being all over what what will work life be like i mean i think i would start you and i probably approach this differently i would start from visual paint what it looks and feels like i think i would start from the perspective of um what is what is now possible for teams that really are on like the bleeding edge of this new market you know i think if i go back to those teams like us that are super distributed and i think you know come five years time so work is actually so the so work office is a place where those teams can be way better off than they would have been before. Um, time is saved, velocity is increased, money is reduced, engagement is up. Um, I think the the way that we're shaping the office today, and if I look down the road at five years from now, so work is like the thing in the back pocket of a distributed team that gives them a huge competitive advantage across 
whether it's recruiting, whether it's delivering products to their customers, whether it's delighting their workforce, whether it's lowering the business bottom line, all of those things are things that I think I look at our SoWork teams today and I look at where the product is going and I see SoWork is the place that distributed teams, it's the advantage that distributed teams have that it could is continuing to push the bleeding edge of this market forward. Still a product that is delivering value and available to teams that aren't on that edge. Um, but I think that's what I see from like a, um, what does it do for customers, um, regardless of sort of what it looks and feels like, what is it doing for them? And it's giving them a, a competitive advantage for being remote and distributed across all dimensions. Um, I think we're just starting to scratch the surface of that today. So that's what I'm really excited about. Yeah, I mean, that is pretty exciting. Are we, are we in, like, are we wearing headsets? Are we, <laughs> are we 3D? I think we're 3D at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, we, there's, <laughs> there's a whole bunch of things that are gonna happen over the next couple of years and even much shorter time horizon that's really exciting with the product in terms of tying into hardware and 3d and all that stuff so stuff to look forward to but um i can't really reveal too much right now at least we can talk about it offline erica but um yeah i mean i think you know for one like i think people are going to be a lot happier because like i said earlier like that agency will be there for them right so you know in five years so work is everywhere people work in the cloud rather than working um, physically in like workplaces on earth, at least for the majority of their time, and at least for, um, you know, the particular jobs where you can't get away from working in person. So my other job, it's, it's obviously an uh, emergency doctor and that's not obviously, but you, I'm saying you know that. And so the, like, yes, I, can't I, really, do. <laughs> I can't really do that like remotely. And so at least some, somebody actually offered me a remote emergency medicine job. So I wonder what that's like, but anyway. Um, oh, oh, that's the, coming. I've been seeing right? a lot of IOT where you can probably read the data remotely and be able to make an assessment. Yes. Well, that would be helpful because I mean, if that even resonates with me, like I can't imagine all the jobs that'd be so much more easy to do so that people can work in the cloud. But right. so that's one thing is I think people would be a lot happier because their time, their most important thing in every every year that you age, you realize like, shit, like time is the most important thing. Like, what am I, what am I doing spending two hours on a commute? You know, what am I doing? Like bookending my days with things that are not related to my work and also not related to my family. Like it's crazy. And so I think like, because of the work from anywhere flexibility and the agency that we will allow people to have, that's going to be a huge part of people's happiness. Um, people also be able to really select from work that they really want to do. They won't feel like, well, you know, I live in a small village in, I don't know, like Kauai, we're in Kauai right now, like we live in a small village in Kauai or small town here. So therefore my only opportunity is blah, like working at the local shop or whatever. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but we're all allowed to have our aspirations and you should be able to exercise those um, no matter where in the world you live. And so that's one thing. And then I guess the other thing is, um, you know, the way I think about it in my head is the world will return to lush because I think about all the different um, impacts that we're having because of our business and workplace behaviors. So, you know, I think business practices are the biggest determiner of planetary health. And so I'm, I'm just very, very excited to help create a world where we can make a dent there. So that, that's what I think about. Now, if I'm listening or the folks listening are trying to find a job at SoWork, 
are you hiring? What roles are you hiring for? And, and how do they come, come meet you or find you? Do they go to so Work to find you for an interview? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> so we, we post jobs that are open on the website. Um, I think there's a link that says work with us. Um, and then anybody who's curious or interested or just want to chat um, with, with us or any of our teammates, you can just drop in. We, we have our office open. Um, so there's a link. Yeah, down. Uh, so if anyone goes to the website, sowork.com, down the bottom in the footer is uh, drop by our office. Um, one click takes you straight into our office, and there's always someone there. <laughs> um, that is so cool. Good to see you. Yeah. Especially Jilly. <laughs> yeah, we've got, yeah, Jilly loves running into people, but we also we have some engineering teammates that love bringing, bringing in and greeting new customers and people dropping in. So yeah, anyone in that office would be excited to meet you. Just that is game changing to be able to drop into an office that you aspire to work in and be able to talk to teammates there before you even like look out for what kind of job is available. Wow. Emma, Vish, thank you so much for your time today. Most grateful. Hey, thank you for listening today. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe. To hear more from entrepreneurs and investors on why they got started, how they got through the hard parts, and what they'll be doing next. If you're inspired by these stories and want to work or collaborate with any of our founders or investors, reach out by searching for Cocoon Born to Fly on LinkedIn. We'd love to connect there. Download more episodes or subscribe via Spotify or YouTube.